You're listening to the Lost Mountain Podcast. Lost Mountain exists to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. We hope today's message encourages you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If you have any questions from today's message, email us at info at lmbc.us. Link is in the show notes. So, okay, back in 2014, I know that's been a solid decade now, but one of the most highlighted Kindle quotes of all time was actually, believe it or not, the second book in the trilogy of the Hunger Games. It was called Catching Fire that was released in 2009. 17,784 Kindle users highlighted this particular quote. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. Now I'm interested about the psychology behind this because we don't typically approach works of fiction and highlight things like that. When we read fiction, we want to be entertained by a story. So it's just really fascinating that 10 years ago, almost 18,000 people highlighted this particular phrase on their Kindle devices because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. I want to ask us a question this morning as we begin the process towards systematically walking through the book of Philippians. What is currently going on in your life that you feel ill-equipped to deal with? And it's a good question for us to ask, considering it's the very first Sunday of a brand new year And a lot of it is kind of met with uncertainty. Thankfully, it's going to be a really easy election year, and (laughs) things are going to be pretty secure there. So we can concentrate on ourselves a little bit more than what's going on around us. Hopefully, uh, you're picking up on the sarcasm of that one. What is currently going on in your life that you feel ill-equipped to deal with? Is it, let's be honest, is it crippling anxiety? Is it a deep loneliness? Is it an estranged relationship from a child? Is it getting older? Is it being content with what you have? Is it a marital conflict? Is it a financial concern? So perhaps our own federal government is ill-equipped to deal with the current national debt. So at the close of 2023, the gross national debt had essentially eclipsed $34 trillion, a new record for our country. Guys, we typically don't deal with the trillion numbers. Let me just lay that out for you. That is 12 zeros. But I guess we can congratulate ourselves because we got there a lot further than projected, right? We got there a lot more quicker than was projected for us. When Julie and I moved here back in January of 21, we thought it would be a good idea for us to grab a credit card that could rack up some miles for us because 
if we needed to fly home to Texas real quick, it would be just kind of an easy way for us to um, get some bonus miles, get that taken care of, fly to Texas if we need, needed to and get back. But have you noticed recently, I just looked at mine the other day, have you noticed the APR on your personal credit cards lately? My goodness. I know some of you are going to pull out your phones and be like, oh, what's mine? (laughs) Those numbers have skyrocketed due to so many variables within our country right now. And I just thought that was fascinating to take a look at. Uh, Personally, I'll let you know, I feel ill-equipped to deal with the inevitable teenage years. I have a 10-year-old and I have a 7-year-old. And I'm not even talking about from the standpoint of how they're going to change physically and the emotions that are going to come out. What I'm talking about is what types of technology or social media platforms will be accessible to my kids when the time comes for them to get a phone. What type of influencing will be shaping our culture a mere five to seven years from now? So, At the end of this year, one of the most popular items that made it on many teenagers' Christmas lists was the Dyson Airwrap. Has anybody heard of this? Okay, a a, a few people. Uh, When I think of Dyson, I think of uh, a futuristic-looking vacuum cleaner, and I think about the worthless hand dryers that just blow water all over your shoes and your clothes. But I don't think about this specifically. This Dyson Airwrap is a $600 hairstyling system that currently has, listen to this, close to 6 billion views on TikTok. So you have everything from teenage girls to adult males to people using it on their dogs. And you can watch TikTok video after TikTok video of people demoing this product in a way that might benefit you. And it's just very fascinating to consider that maybe we are all ill-equipped as consumers to differentiate between purchases that actually benefit us and purchases that are merely status symbols. So between November 1st of 2023 and December 31st of 2023, Americans spent a record-setting $222 billion shopping online alone. That's a 4.9% increase since last year. And so this is fascinating. It's fascinating what grabs our attention. For the sake of embarrassment this morning, I'm just going to go ahead and throw my own out there. A few months ago, I was noticing on Facebook an ad for a specific boot outfitter known as Tecovas. And Tecovas are fancy boot places. You walk in, they ask if you want a, a beer and a fancy mixed drink, and they go ahead and get you set up with your sizing, and they make it look all fancy for you to come in and buy a pair of authentic Austin, Texas boots. And that caught my attention because I've never owned a pair of boots and 
I really was interested in entertaining the idea of getting my first pair of legit boots. Granted, I've been a Texan my whole life and I've never owned a pair of boots. Some of you are looking at my shoes right now wondering, okay, what is going on? So before we head to Texas for Christmas, I go to the location in Buckhead and I'm super impressed. But I don't buy them because they're very expensive. And then we get to Texas and I'm walking around with my brother-in-law in Cowtown in downtown Fort Worth. And lo and behold, there is a Tacovas location in downtown Fort Worth. And I'm calling my wife. I've already tried on the pair that I want. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, they're just really expensive. And Julie, knowing that I have expensive tastes, just says, just go ahead and get them. You're going to be annoying me about this until you finally buy them anyway. So just go ahead and get them. And sure enough, I walk out the store and I have one of the most expensive pairs of shoes that I've ever purchased in my entire 41 years of living. And yet, I am a messed up person who is susceptible to social media just like everybody else. But I will say that they're comfortable. (laughs) And I like them. And I'm going to enjoy them as much as I possibly can. But that also brings up a specific passage of scripture. And as I'm processing all of these things, about the amount of money that we spend and the things that get our attention and the billions upon billions of TikTok videos that are available for any particular product that you might want, any influencer that can make a product popular that people feel like they have to go out and buy instantly just because this person drinks from it or wears it or whatever the case may be, I'm reminded of 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, where the apostle says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I'm not knocking having nice things. I'm not knocking the fact that we have clothes on our backs and shoes on our feet and things that make life easier sometimes. But I am knocking, and I want to steer clear of the pool of the constant acquisition of these things for the sake of them being status symbols and nothing else. And so I invite you this morning to turn to the book of Philippians with me. We're going to be right at the beginning in chapter 1. But before we get started, we have to understand a little bit about what's going on at this point in time. And to understand specifically why the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, we have to back up to Acts chapter 16. 
And you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but hold your place at Philippians 1. So in AD 49 or 50, to put that in perspective for us this morning, that's approximately 1,974 years ago from today. Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, the historian, the physician, they ended up in Troas after the Holy Spirit actually prevented them from preaching the word in certain places. It's in Troas where Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia begging him to come and help them. He and his team load up, they take a pit stop at Samothrace, dock in Neapolis, and then travel to Philippi. It's here where Paul and his companions met Lydia, a wealthy woman whose heart was receptive to the message of the gospel. The members of her family believed as well, and they were all baptized. She opens up her home, and there, the first church on European soil is born. Later on, Paul and Silas encounter a possessed slave girl who follows them around the city, shouting that they are servants of the living God. And after becoming so annoyed by this, Paul turns to her and says to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. Can you imagine being so annoyed about something? I mean, this is fairly typical in the day-to-day for us. In the name of Jesus, stop being interested in very expensive Tecovis boots. Can you imagine the authority with which Paul spoke where this possessed girl, the demon just comes out of her. The spirit instantly leaves the slave girl and her owner's hope of profiting any more from the demon's fortune telling is gone. Because of this uproar, Paul and Silas are stripped, beaten with rods, and thrown into prison. But what is Paul and Silas's response? They stood firm, faithful, and fearless, facing something they were ill-equipped to handle by praying and singing hymns to God. This is what I I want us to focus on this year. Whatever happens, we can stand firm, faithful, and fearless when facing the things that we feel ill-equipped to handle. So an earthquake shook the foundations of the prison, the doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. It's interesting that Paul and Silas around midnight are singing hymns and praying together and all of the prisoners are paying attention to what's going on and all of a sudden this earthquake shakes the foundations, the prison doors fly open and everyone's chains come loose. Can we in our church today stop underestimating what prayer and singing can do for us? Sunday after Sunday, we come in here and we have an opportunity to worship together in the midst of the living God. So something I want to be very cognizant of this year when I come into this place is I want to sing and I want to pray my guts out. And I want the same for all of us. 
because we encounter so many different things throughout the week. So by the time Sunday comes around, we need each other. We need the hug. We need the handshake. We need to sing. We need to pray. We need to worship the risen and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, because he has made all the difference in our lives. And not only has he made it initially, he continues to make a difference in our lives with the things that we feel ill-equipped to deal with. Where are you at this morning with all that? What are you feeling ill-equipped to deal with? Even as I ask that question, I know the things inside of my mind and my heart that I'm facing currently that I feel ill-equipped to deal with. So the jailer draws his sword to kill himself, presuming the prisoners had escaped, but Paul assures him that everyone is there. The gospel is preached, and the jailer and his family believed. Another baptism service takes place. There's a potluck in the guy's house, and everyone is filled with joy because of what happened. The Philippian church has now added another family. So 10 years later, 10 years, probably around AD 60 or 62, Paul is in prison yet again, but this time he's in Rome. This is his first of his Roman imprisonments. He receives a generous gift from the church at Philippi. Epaphroditus, a leader in the church, along with Timothy, traveled close to 800 miles to provide for Paul's needs. And with immense gratitude, he writes Philippians to thank and encourage a church that means so much to him. See, the church at Philippi can't FedEx the gift over to Paul. Epaphroditus and Timothy travel 800 miles to make sure that he is cared for. To what extent will we do that in our church? To what extent will we meet a need for our brothers and sisters here and for maybe for a coworker or a teacher or a friend, whoever it is in your life? To what extent are you willing to meet a need that's so significant? that this person has to begin to ask questions as to why you would actually go to that distance to help a person. So let's pick up at the very top of Philippians chapter one. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, this is interesting. When Paul makes the designation that he and Timothy are servants of Christ Jesus, there are other books, other letters that Paul has written where he assures his apostleship. I am an apostle by the will of God through Jesus Christ. But here, he loves this church. He loves these people. And he's beginning his letter as a servant of Jesus Christ who is currently in chains for the sake of the gospel. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From when I essentially planted this church 10 years ago until now, I always remember you. I always thank God, especially now when I see that Epaphroditus and Timothy have traveled 800 miles so that you can supply what needs that I currently have. You've been willing to make that trip for me, and I'm so grateful for it. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Do you hear what Paul is saying right here? Because of my imprisonment, because of the suffering that I am enduring, it's actually encouraged the brothers and sisters to live out their faith more courageously. This is why you see throughout the New Testament, and we'll get to this a little bit later on in the message today, that suffering is actually an essential component in the life of a believer, and we don't understand that. I'll be honest with you, it's difficult for me to understand that. That an amount of suffering can actually produce the fruit of righteousness. It doesn't make sense, but it's everything that models a life in pursuit of Christ Jesus. And we're going to see that played out throughout this small letter as we make our way through it throughout January. It's true, verse 15, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does he say? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. 
And here's that familiar verse, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's difficult for me to see that particular verse on a coffee mug or tattooed on somebody's arm or on a t-shirt because we don't understand that depth of commitment that Paul has in a situation like this when he says, for to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. When we think about death, we get uncomfortable. When we think about death for the sake of Christ, that's even more of a foreign concept to us. But it is very real. It is very purposeful. It is very transformational. And that's what Paul is getting at. That's what Paul is demonstrating with the amount of suffering that he is currently enduring. And that is what encourages not only the palace guard, but especially the brothers and sisters that are near Paul at this moment. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I, I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ, Jesus will abound on account of me. Do you pick up on the lack of self, self-preservation that Paul is demonstrating in this book? He doesn't care. He is completely committed to everything that happened as a result of his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, that he has submitted everything about himself to the authority of Jesus. And the gospel is the focal point of all of it. He mentions the gospel specifically in chapter one, eight times alone. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. This is why I'm here. It's Christ is preached. Whatever happens to me, it's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. My prayer for myself and my prayer for us as a church this year is that is legitimately what it would be about for us. The gospel. It's the gospel. It's not about my preferences. It's not about how happy I think I should be. It's not about the accumulation of what I can gather as a result of my place or my position in this life. And finally, we get to verse 27, which is where I want to stop and really emphasize verses 27 through 30. Whatever happens, whatever happens, 
Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. In verse 27 right there, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner. The, the NIV is a little lacking on the translation here because what Paul is actually communicating, the word right there means live as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The Philippians were proud of their Roman citizenship. Philippi's infrastructure actually resembled that of Rome. So it was often referred to as a colony that resembled Rome and they called it Little Rome. Paul goes on to emphasize the unity that must be characteristic of the Philippian church. Belief in the gospel of Jesus and the indwelling spirit of God are what unify them. So they stand firm. The church was under attack because of their allegiance to King Jesus over Caesar. And Paul admonished them to endure all opposition together as they fought side by side. I read through Philippians and... (laughs) I feel grossly inadequate because when Paul is actually pinning this letter to the church at Philippi, he is probably no more than four or five years older than myself. And I'm sitting here like, at least I have cool boots. (laughs) And I'm thinking about everything that Paul has accomplished And to what degree he is willing to sacrifice. And I'm baffled by it. And I can think of no better epistle to begin our year here at Lost Mountain with than Philippians. Because I'm praying that God does something specifically at Lost Mountain to where we forget about ourselves. And we begin to concentrate on the reality that the gospel truly does change everything. Additionally, he encourages the Philippians to strive together as one in order to be faithful to the gospel. He mentions the gospel, like I said, eight times, eight times specifically in chapter one alone. The gospel is the very reason Paul endured imprisonment as he wrote this letter we are studying. The gospel is the reason most of us are here this morning. The gospel is everything that disgusts us about ourselves being absorbed into the sinless Savior whose heavenly Father looked away while he was stretched out on a Roman cross. The gospel is the burial that makes it appear as though all hope 
is lost. The gospel is the resurrection of the promised one, Jesus the Messiah, who has defeated death. The gospel is the ascension back to the Father where Christ is making intercession for those who have called out for his mercy. The gospel is the imminent return of our Savior King when he's going to restore all things. And the gospel is a new city that does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. This is the gospel. This is what changes us. Has it changed you? Has it changed you initially? And does it continue to change you daily? The gospel of Jesus Christ is why Paul can tell this church, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. This same gospel is why whatever happens, we too can stand firm, faithful, and fearless when facing the things that we feel ill-equipped to deal with. But how do we do it? How do we stand firm? We give ourselves away because self-giving love is what binds us into a unified body. How do we be faithful? As this series says, we strive for Christ-centered living in a self-centered world. But how do we do that? I submit to you that we train ourselves for godliness, which is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. He says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is why Lost Mountain Institute coming up on January 24th is really important. Because in this particular course, we're taking a survey of the spiritual disciplines and how to truly implement those into our lives. This is what it means to train ourselves for godliness. A lot of us have an idea of what the disciplines are. And sometimes we exercise a few of them. But for the most part, they don't encapsulate our identity as people. And in order to train ourselves for godliness, we have to know what they are and we have to pay the price to actually implement those into our lives. So if you haven't signed up for that, I want to encourage you to do that. I'll be honest, I don't want to be a part of another class. We're a part of classes and studies and things all the time that don't necessarily have a lasting impact on us. I legitimately want this to be something different for our church as we engage these disciplines together in light of the current culture that we live in. 
So if you're interested in that, I encourage you to sign up for it. I think already 20-something people have pre-registered for that. Um, I hope there's more. This is a thing that we're going to be doing together. I'm just going to let you know, like, I'm not that great at it. I'm trying. I really want uh, this particular content that we'll be discussing to have a lasting impact on my life as well as I'm continued, as I'm continuing to be formed and shaped by the gospel myself. And finally, how do we be fearless? So the church has been both unpopular and offensive because of its message for over two millennia. That's not going to change. So we may as well be about the business of sharing the gospel both regularly and fearlessly. But let me provide a caveat to that. We talk a lot in the church about the need to share the gospel with others, but we don't talk a lot about sharing it with ourselves. And let me, under, let me help you understand what that means. Just because you have believed the good news does not mean you stop rehearsing it in your own mind and your heart. The gospel is perpetually good news. It is ongoing. And it is essential for the non-believer, but it is just as essential for the believer in Christ. We need to keep sharing it with ourselves so that the perfect love of Jesus can drive out the various fears within us. And finally, as surprising as it sounds, one of the ways that we become fearless is we pray earnestly to understand what having joy and suffering means. Paul says to the church at Rome in chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you are in Christ this morning, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit within you who is capable of casting out the fear that currently resides within you. I can see some of your faces this morning and I've had conversations with you where you've had a difficult time working out the suffering that you're currently dealing with. And this is another reason why we're here, to bear that burden together, side by side. Don't be afraid or too proud to reach out to someone. Maybe you're just kind of getting back into church because you realize it's a good idea because it's the new year and you want to start fresh with something or you're looking for a new place that you might want to consider joining and being a part of, I'm going to go ahead and let you know Lost Mountain is full of a bunch of weirdos. And that's really good. 
really good because that's a testimony of how much we need one another. And so as we close today, I want you to know and to understand that whatever happens, we can stand firm, faithful, and fearless together when facing the things that we feel ill-equipped to handle. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. Our offering, our offering ushers are going to make their way to their positions. One of the, dem- one of the ways we demonstrate our, our, our life and commitment to Christ is by making sure our treasure is in the right place because where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Many of you have been faithful to give to the Greater Impact Special Offering. That's not a substitute for your regular tithes and offerings, but we give sacrificially, just like the church in Philippi gave sacrificially in order to supply Paul with everything that he needed. What you give goes to fund the ministry of this church as we partner with organizations like Orchard Africa and Graffiti Church this year as well, as well as local organizations and as well as to the ongoing ministry here at Lost Mountain where our, it's our legitimate heart cry to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. And so I am going to pray and we're going to commit this next uh, few moments of giving and partaking in communion together to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you have begun another year that was not promised. And I personally don't want to waste another moment with your glorious gospel not being at the forefront of my mind and my heart. I want to rehearse it to myself. I want to preach it to myself and I want to preach it to others because I legitimately believe that it is the only hope that we have. And so as we give today, as we take of the elements today, I ask, Father, that we would respond to your word in such a way to where we are committing ourselves to it and we're committing ourselves to one another to fight side by side so that we can stand firm, faithful, and fearless throughout this year. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Lost Mountain, visit us at lmbc.us. Thank you for tuning in today.